welcome to St Matthew's to this uh, online service uh, street, streaming from St Matthew's on the Corso. Welcome to this service of the Word and Prayer. Uh, it's been an unsettling week here in Sydney uh, with, amongst other things, changes, for instance, to this service and the way we're functioning today. It, it's been also a very distressing week uh, with news coming to us of a terrible tragedy in Tasmania. So these words from Psalm 34 verse 18 seem most fitting for a time like this where it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Our first song this morning is a carol in which we recognise the truth of those words by the coming of the Lord Jesus into our world. And uh, in this carol... We recount some aspects of the story of his birth as we hear of the shepherds and of the star and other things as well. And right at the end of the carol, we call on one another with one voice to praise our Lord. And we can praise him because, as this verse says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So let's sing together with our musicians the first Noel.
welcome again to St. Matthew's here on the Corso at Manly, uh, streaming uh, to your lounge room and also out to the courtyard. Uh, who would have guessed at the beginning of the, the week that our services today uh, would be empty in the building here, apart from those of us who are running the service. But I am so thankful to God that we have this means of uh, engaging with God together uh, during a time like this. Uh, for our guests, welcome. My name is Andrew Graham. I'm one of the ministers here at St. Matthew's. Uh, this morning, there's lots of really good things to look forward to in this service. We have another carol and another hymn. Uh, we have a Bible reading, and our talk today is on a man called Joseph, uh, the third in our series, our Advent series, and Nathan Campbell will be bringing that message to us, a message which in part is about the messiness of the world into which the Lord Jesus came as a little baby. And by the way, having Nathan speak today was a, 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 um, a late change to our program. Uh, Deborah Benstead was going to be speaking on a lady called, a, a woman called Mary, a talk that she gave at our other services last week. Uh, we changed late in the week, but you can catch up with that talk, which was such a helpful talk, uh, online at, on the St Matthews website. Well, friends, it is so good knowing uh, that in this world of ups and downs, our God is consistently loving and he is ruling over all things and he's ready to hear our prayers as we come to him as our father. So we enter now a time of prayer in which in the first place we ask for his help during the rest of the service. Then we confess our sins to him, which is only right and proper to do. But then we call on one another through the words of Psalm 103 to remember all the benefits, all the blessings of God to us. So please join me as I lead us in praying to our great God. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. And let's together come before God, recognising the ways in which we have fallen short of his will for our lives. Please join me in this prayer of confession. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have gone our own way, not loving you as we ought, nor loving our neighbour as ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, and in what we have failed to do. We deserve your condemnation. Father, forgive us. Help us to love you and our neighbour and to live for your honour and glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. One of the great blessings that Psalm 103 calls us to remember is the blessing of forgiveness, that our sins the Lord makes as far away from us as the east is from the west. So let's say together, these sections from the beautiful Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, 
or re repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, all his work everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Amen. Well, friends, there's just a few things to catch you up by way of news uh, from St. Matthew's. The first thing is just a reminder about a really helpful way of communicating uh, online using the QR code, which I'm hoping will come up soon. There it is. You can use that. For instance, if you are new with us and you'd like to let us know you've been there, we'd love to hear from you and you could use that means. Uh, if there is anything else you'd like to communicate with us, a need for help, uh, a word of encouragement, uh, please uh, use that. Uh, and if you're not able to do that today, uh, we'll be available on the phone at the office uh, through the week and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, speaking of this week coming, uh, we are still planning to have in-person services here on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day, but we will be monitoring the situation with COVID as the week unfolds and we'll be confirming details of Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services, whether they're they're in person and online, or whether online only, uh, later in the week uh, when we make that decision. There are so many things for us to bring before the Lord. It's such a relief to know that He is listening as we pray, and there are some great concerns we have for ourselves and for our world. So I'm going to lead us in a further time of prayer now, when amongst other things we'll be praying for those who are in grief down in Devonport in Tasmania. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world made beautiful by you, but which is damaged by our sin. We need you. We need your help. Help us through the days ahead, through this week, to trust you, to seek your will in all that we do. Father, we pray for those who grieve in the wake of the children whose lives were lost in the terrible jumping castle accident in Tasmania this week. Our hearts go out to families to friends, to teachers, to a whole community that's in shock and in deep grief. We pray, Father, that as the God of all comfort, you will comfort them. May they know you as the God who is close to the brokenhearted and who saves those who are crushed in spirit. Lord, in these uncertain times as we hear of rapidly increasing cases of COVID-19 across our city and state and country. Uh, we pray that you would give to us a calm and give to us wisdom about the way that we respond to this situation. We pray that we'll have insight into how we ought to go about our preparations for Christmas. We pray for those who may be feeling anxious, who have genuine concerns for their health that you would give to them a peace and give them the help that they need. Lord, have mercy on us in the face of this health challenge. And Lord, we would so love to be having in-person services here on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. So we pray 
that your will be done. Nevertheless, we pray uh, that we be able to have in-person services here. Lord, in our wider community, we're so thankful for the team that works together to provide meals for those in need at the soup kitchen on Monday nights, and especially for the last two weeks when we've been able to revert to open-air sit-down meals. We pray that there'd be no barrier to the final meal of um, the year tomorrow night being able to be held out in the courtyard here with a sit-down meal. We pray that it'll be a great time of celebration and a great time of comfort and help for those who come. We pray that guests will know their love by you and that you will never fail them, that you will never let them down. And we pray in the larger picture that many guests would come to know you as their Lord and Saviour this Christmas time. Lord, as we gather with family and friends over this Christmas period, we ask your spirit would be at work to help us speak wisely but boldly about you. At times when we may hear the truth of Christmas being hijacked, give us courage to speak up in love and truth for you and your Son, our Saviour. Lord, we recognise that this time of year can be distressing and difficult for many in any year. So God of comfort, we pray that your Spirit would strengthen and sustain those who find this a difficult time of year in hours that they anticipate with some dread. We pray that you'd fill each of us with love for others who are made in your image as we are, may we be agents of peace in the places you put us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our singers are ready to lead us, so I reckon it'd be worth standing up to sing this second of our carols today. Please be standing and let's sing.
Well, it's time for our Bible reading now, and I've got Rhonda here with me. But before she reads the Bible for us, I've got a question for you, Rhonda, uh, which we've been over at home. <laughs> uh, but um, reading the Bible for you has been important during COVID, and where you're up to has special relevance for today. So could you tell us a little about reading the Bible during the ups and downs of COVID and today's reading, where it fits? I've done several things through COVID. You know, when COVID first started, we'd ate wonderful food and I did artwork, I did all sorts of things. But one of the best things I've done was I've decided to read the Bible from the beginning to the end through COVID. I try and read three chapters a day. I write notes, I have a little journal, I try and work out what's my favourite verse in this and why it spoke to me. And um, it just so happens that I'm up to Matthew. (laughs) And so this week's reading was this reading that I'm doing now. and one of the, it's really heightened my anticipation of Jesus coming. It's heightened my, um, my excitement for Jesus coming. And one of the repeated phrases that I've found in the Old Testament has been, and I will be their God and they will be my people. And that's what Jesus came to do. And so it's with um, anticipation and excitement that I've read, that I've come to, to Matthew. I feel like the, the dawn has finally come and, he, and Jesus is here. And so can I read this passage for us now? Okay, I'll leave you to it. It's from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. I'll just give you a second to look that up. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, was her husband, was faithful to the law, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Just moving a little bit further on, we're in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. It begins by saying, when they had gone, the, the, the they there is when the Magi, the wise men, had gone. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt, 
I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they were no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, and he would be called a Nazarene. Good morning. For those of you who are just joining us this morning, my name's Nathan. Uh, Let's pray as we come to God's Word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity again, another week uh, to to gather together, even though we're online, but to gather together uh, around your Word and around praise and around prayer. Lord, we pray that you might minister to us wherever we might be uh, this very day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mrs. Campbell, what's wrong with your face? That was the question that greeted my wife as she rocked up to teach her year five class one morning. At the time, she was six months pregnant, and by the time she got home that night, she looked like she was having an allergic reaction to something. Her her hands, her feet, her face, everything was swollen. Now, we had friends over for dinner that night. One of them was studying med. She looked at Belle and she was like you should probably get that checked out. Now, thankfully, Hornsby Hospital was just around the corner. So Belle popped over. She had a bunch of tests. And I can still remember the look on the nurse's face as she read Belle's blood pressure. We need to get you to North Shore right now. Her blood pressure was 170 over 110, high enough for them to assume they'd actually be having to deliver the baby that night and yet Hornsby couldn't handle a 29-week-old baby. That was the first setback in our pregnancy story, but it wouldn't be the last one. Belle didn't end up delivering that night. Instead, she spent the next four weeks in hospital as they tried to keep a lid on her blood pressure. At the end, she was taking more than like 20 pills a day. Eventually, they couldn't control it any longer, and she had to have an emergency C-section. Now, just to make things a little more messy, it also happened to be the day we were moving house. In the end, Reuben was born seven weeks premature, and because his lungs were so underdeveloped, 
He spent the first week of his life on oxygen in a climate-controlled, sterile, humidity crib. And we could barely touch him, let alone pick him up. And each night we had to say goodbye and leave him there at the hospital. He ended up spending the first month of his life at Royal North Shore. And it definitely wasn't the start to parenthood that we were expecting. It was messy. But that's often the way of it, isn't it? Messy. And not just when it comes to pregnancy or parenthood, but just life in general. It's, it's, it's messy. It's not straightforward. There are, there are setbacks. Maybe you feel like you're in the middle of a mess right now. Things going in a direction that you weren't expecting. Plans getting torn up or tossed aside. I mean, life can be messy, can't it? I mean, on Wednesday, I was, I was going to be giving this sermon to a church full of people, but come Friday, we're back here online. Life in a global pandemic has been messy these last two years, hasn't it? Well, the Christmas story fits our moment perfectly because it too is full of struggle and frustration and plans being torn up. It, it's a messy story. But the version of it that we hold in our heads often has, has a kind of shiny, pristine veneer, almost as if the story's been scrubbed clean of, of its grime and its grit. Holy infants, so tender and mild, we sing. Tender and mild. I mean, those two words perfectly capture the version of Christmas that we often run with. But of course, tender and mild couldn't be further from reality. Massively messy is perhaps a more accurate description. Holy infant, so massively messy. Doesn't quite have the same ring to it. Today, as we come to the third installment in our Advent series, taking a look at the birth of Jesus through the eyes of a man called Joseph. As we do, I hope we'll come, I hope we'll come to see that this is not a nice story. It might be magnificent, astounding, wondrous, but it's, it's not nice. And it's certainly not tender and mild either. It's messy. Now, the start of Matthew's Gospel gives us the account of Jesus' birth through Joseph's eyes, right? It's his perspective. And from his perspective, just about everything goes wrong for him. As the story unfolds, Joseph faces three major setbacks. A social setback, a safety setback, and a settling setback. You know, dealing with any one of those would be enough to do you in. But Joseph cops all three of them, one after the other after the other. The first setback is social. And that's how the story immediately begins there in verse 18. Take a look. The key phrases to note are pledged to be married, before they came together, pregnant. And it's stated very simply, but consider for a moment the kind of disruption, the kind of upheaval and the level of family freakout sitting behind that verse. Like it, it would have been messy. You see, pledged to be married means that Mary and Joseph were betrothed. And betrothal was serious. So in those days, you would first get engaged, 
which would be arranged by the families, often years in advance. And then the time, when the time was right, the couple would become betrothed. And that would usually last about a year, after which then they would be fully married. Betrothal was like socially distanced marriage. It was legally binding, a covenant, a dowry would have been paid. They were referred to as husband and wife. But in that 12-month betrothal period, they wouldn't live together, sleep together, or even be left alone together. Socially distanced marriage. And the only two ways a betrothal could be broken was through death or divorce. Serious business. Now, we don't know how Joseph discovered this first setback, but it wasn't the angel. You see, he's already considering his options before the angel shows up. So chances are he finds out through official family channels. I mean, how would that conversation have gone, do you think? the planning and the preparation by both families, probably years in the making, and a future that Joseph has been picturing and expecting and longing for. All of it comes crashing down with two words. She is pregnant. I mean, that would be scandalous today, wouldn't it? We live in an age where just about anything goes, but falling pregnant to someone other than your fiancé That would still be a massive deal today. Imagine the kind of bomb that would have gone off back in the first century. In the Old Testament, it would have meant a death sentence for Mary. But by the first century, Jewish law demanded divorce. And because Joseph is obedient to the law, that's what he's considering doing. Interestingly, though, Matthew tells us that he wants to do it quietly. And it's, it's our first true insight into this man. You see, he was entitled to drag her before a court, to publicly humiliate her, and in doing so, clear his own name, preserve his own honour, and even keep the dowry for himself. But incredibly, he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about her. He's not vindictive or bitter and instead of trying to exploit what's happened for his own gain, he wants to protect Mary. Joseph's got a compassionate heart. And remember, this is all before the angel of the Lord shows up. And of course, once he does, and Joseph learns the incredible truth of what's actually happened, he obeys God and he takes Mary to be his wife. That's the social setback. Once Jesus is born, the next setback is one of safety. In the story, we're introduced to the ruler of Judea at that time, King Herod. Now, in history, he's known as Herod the Great. Some historians report him to have been one of the wealthiest rulers to have ever lived. Apparently, his personal wealth was well in excess of 100 times the GDP of the region. He's most... He's most famous for his massive building program and his ruthless paranoia. So the the Jewish historian Josephus, he tells us that Herod was so concerned that, that no one would mourn his death, probably because of how ruthless he was, that he ordered that on the day that he died, hundreds of distinguished men should be brought to the city and put to death. That would guarantee an appropriate amount of mourning. Couldn't have helped his popularity, though, I wouldn't have thought. 
That's the kind of paranoia that makes sense of what Matthew tells us, right? We're, we're told that when he finds out that a Messiah has been born, a potential rival to his rule, this guy gives the order to kill every boy in Bethlehem under the age of two. Now, before Jesus gets caught up in that mess, Joseph receives a warning via a second angelic visit. Take a look at his response in chapter 2, verse 14. He got up, took the child and his mother, and during the night left for Egypt. He acts immediately, in the pitch black, without notice, without planning, without preparation, without knowing what he would do or where he would end up. He has to wake Mary, disturb his newborn baby, chuck some things in a bag, and leave for a foreign place. Now, Egypt from Bethlehem, it was probably at least a 10-day journey. Like, what a setback that would have been. To have, to have to abandon their family support, to leave his job and livelihood and income. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'd know that any time an Israelite had to leave the Promised Land, it was always a big deal, right? No one ever did it lightly. This is a big deal. And he has to do it because the most powerful and ruthless man in the land wanted his son dead. Imagine how stressful that would have been. What a mess. And then, as if the first two setbacks weren't enough, there's a final one for good measure, and it's a settling setback. You can see it there in verse 19. After a chunk of time's passed and they you know, started to make a life for themselves as, as refugees in a foreign land, Joseph gets his third angelic visit and is told to bring the family home. But on the trip home, he gets a fourth divine message. They can't settle in Judea, where Bethlehem was, because Herod's son, Archelaus, was now ruling there and he was just as bad as his old man. So, Jake, Joseph takes his young family and, and settles in a town called Nazareth. Now, let's just say, Nazareth wasn't the kind of place that would be featured on the cover of Domain. It was a long way from Jerusalem. It was in a region mixed with many unclean Gentiles. If you were wanting to make an entrance, you wouldn't want to be doing it from Nazareth. It had a terrible reputation. Can anything good come from Nazareth? It's a bit like Mossman, really. You take a look at those three setbacks, right? And it paints a, a, a pretty grim picture. <laughs> it can't have been anything at all like what Joseph was expecting marrying Mary was going to look like. The family tension, the social stigma, plans that kept getting frustrated, costs that were incurred, lives endangered, and then having to settle far from home. One after the other after the other. See, this isn't a nice story. There's nothing tender and mild about what's going on. It's a mess, an absolute mess, and it's full of setbacks at every turn. And yet, when we're able to take in the full picture of what's happening here, you begin to see that Joseph's setbacks were actually God's set up. Now, I'm happy for you to challenge me on this, but as far as I can tell, Joseph holds the record for the most angelic visitations in the Bible. He gets four of them. Joseph, right? The guy who's barely in the Bible at all and who has no recorded words. 
He gets more angel action than anyone else in the entire Bible. And what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that God is just not in this picture. He is the one painting this picture. You see, each of Joseph's setbacks, the social, the safety, the settling, each one coincides with an angelic visit. Did you notice that? They actually go together. That's because God is at work in Joseph's mess. And the work he's doing extends far beyond what Joseph is able to see and comprehend in that moment, right? Far beyond. So what what would definitely have felt to Joseph like setback was actually God's setup. And Matthew's gospel actually makes this abundantly clear because not only does each setback get an angel visit, but Matthew links each one to Old Testament prophecy. So with the social setback, Joseph is not just some random guy God plucks out of nowhere. He's a son of David, we're told. That's what the angel calls him. And it's the only time in any of the Gospels that anyone other than Jesus gets called that. It's super important. You see, Joseph's willingness to adopt Mary's son, to name him and to make him his own, That's what links Jesus to the line of David. He's adopted into it. Take that in for a moment. Take in just how how pivotal Joseph's decision is when faced with the mess of a child conceived out of wedlock, he chooses to trust God and obey him. And it paves the way for God's great setup. The son of God in the flesh, David's long-awaited descendant, the Messiah. And it's the same with the safety setback. In chapter 2, verse 15, Matthew pairs Joseph's midnight flight to Egypt with a prophecy from the prophet Hosea. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now it recalls Moses leading God's people to freedom from slavery in Egypt. So as inconvenient and disruptive as it must have been for Joseph and Mary uh, to escape to Egypt, that, that moment in their lives actually sets Jesus up as the start of a new Israel and the promise of God's ultimate deliverance, a new exodus. Matthew also links prophecy with the third setback, Joseph being forced to settle in Nazareth. And it, it fulfills, we're told, what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, as I said earlier, to be called a Nazarene was a bit of an insult. And so it, it kind of picks up on Old Testament prophecies about the, the humble, unassuming, and, and unexpected nature of the Messiah. Echoing Isaiah 53, right? He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. From the outside, even from the inside, from Joseph's point of view, this all looks like a great, big, inconvenient, uncomfortable mess. But God, in his infinite wisdom, he works in the mess, doesn't he? He is the master of the mess, and he uses Joseph and Mary to bring his beloved son into the world. And each setback is actually a pivotal moment where Joseph is called upon to save the one who would one day save the world. 
Isn't that incredible? Friends, the season of Advent is a season of waiting. And really, we're in this season until Christ comes again. We are waiting for him. One of the keys to waiting well is how we respond when things get messy. You know, do we throw our hands up in the air in despair? Do we pack it in? Do we give up, tap out, switch off? Life is messy. Maybe it's messy for you right now. So what do we do? How do we wait well? Well, instead of holding fast to our plans or holding fast to our circumstances, whatever they may be, we need to hold fast to our God, to the master of the mess, to the one who can work in it and through it, who can work good from bad. I mean, that's what we see him doing in the life of Joseph, don't we? Joseph's setbacks were God's set up. Now, at one level, this is a, it's a pretty special case, right? Four angelic visits, the birth of the son, God becoming flesh, like it's, it's monumental. And yet at the same time, there is nothing unusual about him mastering the mess. That's vintage God, isn't it? That's how he rolls. Someone I read this week put it like this. God is writing in capital letters here what he's been writing in smaller letters in our lives and throughout history. He's the master of the mess. That's what he does. It's his thing. And he's been working that way since the very beginning, hasn't he? Abraham faced infertility before God used him to father a nation. Moses fled for his life before God used him to free his people. Ruth suffered tremendous loss before God made her David's great-grandmother. Esther was called out by Mordecai before God used her to rescue the exiles. Simon Peter stumbled before God lifted him up to lead the church. Paul went blind before God used him to open the eyes of the Gentiles. And of course, there's the mess of the cross. Friends, our God masters the mess, doesn't he? His plans are never foiled. His expectations never frustrated. He knows exactly what he's doing. And nothing, nothing can get in his way. As messy as things might look to us, it's never too messy for God to do his thing. And he will. And he is. That doesn't mean we always know what he's doing. Sometimes it's actually only afterwards when you can look back and see how he worked. Reuben turned 11 on Friday. And we never stop giving thanks to God that we've got him. When Bell and I look back at all the setbacks surrounding his birth, we can now see the way that God was teaching us about control, as in how little control we actually have when it comes to matters of life and death. Because as good as medicine might be today, and it did a wonderful job of saving Reuben's life, there are still so many uncontrollables. And being confronted with that reality has definitely driven us further and further into dependence on God. We can also see the way that the experience has kind of shaped and equipped us for ministry. 
like it's grown and matured us in ways that have allowed us to, to walk with others facing their own setbacks. And we've been able to do that many times in the years since Reuben was born. And then a few months after Reuben's birth, my uncle was so moved by the neonatal care that saved his life, he decided to raise money to support the Humpty Dumpty Foundation. Now, this foundation raises money for specialised medical equipment in children's hospitals. After six months of training and preparation, he and some others trekked the last degree, as they say, to the South Pole in Antarctica. 1,100 kilometres over eight days in minus 50 degree weather. To do it, he had to personally raise $100,000. And he did so that more places would have the kind of gear that saved Reuben's life. Friends, we often don't know how God might be working through our mess, bringing good out of bad. Sometimes we can only see it after coming through it. And quite often we don't even get that. Sometimes we might never know what he was doing. We might not know that, but we do know him, don't we? The one who has the power to master the mess. The one who has promised to one day put an end to all the mess. So as we wait in the season of Advent, instead of holding fast to our plans, instead of holding fast to our circumstances, hold fast to what you know of him. As Spurgeon put it so well, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. So when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Will you do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an astounding, wondrous story we've been reflecting on this morning. The birth of your son in such messy circumstances. And yet, Lord, we can see the way that you were at work in that mess to set up for us a saviour. Lord God, we pray for our own messes, some that we might be stuck in right this very morning. And we just ask, Lord, that in the midst of the mess, we might look beyond the difficulty and the struggle and the frustration and the disappointment. We might hold fast to you and to what we know of you. We pray, Lord, that we might be those who wait well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're now going to respond in song.
heard as the service began today that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And we've heard so much more about the character of God this morning as we've considered the story of Jesus through the prism of the experience of a man called Joseph, his father. Uh, Joseph whose story shows so much to us about the messiness of the world into which Jesus came and the way in which God was working through that mess and in that mess to bring about the most glorious of outcomes. Such a reassuring thing for us to be hearing in a world which, whether, it, whether we're in COVID or not, is full of ups and downs, is full of messiness. Really looking forward to seeing you in one form or another uh, before the end of the week with our Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services. But uh, as, as we leave this service, let me give you these words of encouragement from the book of Jude. To him who was able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only wise God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. Amen.